trust you with all of our hearts. We build our life on you. We stand firm on you because we know that you are the only one that's faithful. Because we know that putting our faith in you will mean that we will never be disappointed. We love you, Lord. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, amen and amen. Come on, you get a little, get a little bit louder for that. That worship team did it today. Give them a round of applause. That was great. So Houston is making it difficult for me to embrace fall. Amen. Today, uh, actually yesterday, Suzette, who works in our cafe area, said to me, hey, tomorrow is the first day of fall. Did you know that? I said, woof. I wouldn't know it by the weather. She said, well, since this the first day of fall, should we get rid of the iced coffee and just do hot coffee? I said, well, look, you live in Houston. So that means we keep the cold drinks all throughout the year because, it come on, it gets too hot. I started thinking about fall because everyone was reminding me that this Day today was the first day of fall. And I started struggling because it's hard for me to identify with fall in Houston. Leaves don't change here. The weather doesn't get cold enough for me to say, ooh, that fall breeze is coming. It doesn't happen. If you lived up north, maybe. It's nice. It's 70 degrees. Gary, I think you were in North Carolina. I bet it was nice up there. Brisk mornings. It's fall, not in Houston. I started thinking about, well, what is it in my life that I look to to give me a sign that it's fall? Because there are signs all around you. You go to Target, you got the signs, pumpkins everywhere. Pumpkins on T-shirts, pumpkins for sale, and the little dollar section in the front. Pumpkin in your drink. Does that signify that it's fall? I remember when the fall drinks came out and they asked me, do you want a hot drink or I want a cold one? It's August. It's very hot. I started thinking, well, what makes it fall for me? Is it, is it cold weather? What sig- I don't know because usually the cold weather comes during the winter. So what is it that has, to me, shown me that fall is right around the corner. A couple days ago, I was walking around my neighborhood. I walk at night. I just walk. Try to walk a couple miles at night. And as I was walking, I saw on a neighbor's porch someone watching me. I was like, no big deal. You know, I'm from Greens Point. They can't do anything to me. It's just one. Went around the block, came back. There was two. I said, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. I'm not worried, though, because, you know, God's on my side, and I'm walking around, and and I said, God is with me. I don't have to worry. I went went around the block, went around another block. I forgot about what I had seen earlier. I come back 20 minutes later, and it's not two now. It's three. And they're watching me as I go around, and I go around, 
And then I start to get the fear in me because I said, now I'm going to get ganged up on. I, I can't overcome these three guys. I, I don't really know why they're watching me. I'm not stealing anything. This is my neighborhood. There's no reason for them to be afraid. And I was coming around the, the bend again to that street. And I said, if something happens, I started planning, what are you going to do if they come after you? Are you going to run? Are you going to fight? I mean, what, what's going to happen? And then as I'm turning around the corner, I saw one of my neighbors standing on that porch carrying one of these men, and I realized it's not men, it's, it's Halloween decorations. <laughs> they, were, they were putting big, like, creatures and, and like, scarecrows and and like mummies on their porch, and they were doing this at 11 o'clock at night, and I'm like, Steve, you can't do that at 11 o'clock at night. Do it during the day where people that are paranoid like me don't get afraid and think that there are weird people watching me. I realize the thing that, that tells me that fall is on its way is, is when people start decorating for Halloween. That's the thing. And in my neighborhood, everyone decorates for Halloween. Now, that, it's a sensitive subject for me. Because what they're doing is that they're, they're decorating their houses as if their houses are haunted. That's what they do. It's, it's a pot, they have a competition every year. Who can design their home in such a way where you feel like it's really haunted? Now listen, I grew up in a superstitious household. I'm superstitious, not a little stitious. Superstitious. And, and stuff like that scares me. Look, I'll just tell you. A week ago, I was at my mom's house, and um, I was downstairs, and my mom's like, hey, what's that noise upstairs? So I don't know. She goes, can you check it? I don't know what that noise is. And listen, I'm going up the stairs in her home, and I hear something start running in the upstairs. Now, I know there's no kids there, but something's running. And I get up halfway up the stairs, and I start hearing, you know that TV station back in the day, if you were born in the 80s, it was the static station where you would go to Channel 3 so that you could hook up your Nintendo. You know the static sound. There was a TV on, and there was static coming out of the TV. Now, I don't know if you've seen a couple scary movies or two, but that's a bad sign. I remember there was a scary movie a while ago. It's a long time ago. I forgot what it was called. This little girl, blonde hair in a nightgown. She's standing in front of a TV, and it's, um, it's got the static. Someone already knows what, what movie this is. And she goes, they're here. I will never forget Poltergeist. Okay. I, I, I come up the steps, and something in me said, are you going to go turn off this TV? I got brave, and I said, I'm going to go turn off this TV. <laughs> I turned the corner into the room, saw the TV, all the static, and as I'm going to take another step, it turns off. Whoa. Now listen. <laughs> Homie, don't play that. <laughs> I ran down them stairs, and I said, Mama, I don't know what's upstairs, but it ain't, it ain't, it ain't, my business, not my responsibility. 
Y'all can handle that. And, I, and as I told my dad, that he's like, ooh, that happens a lot. I'm like, look, I ain't never, I ain't never come in here again. Your house is, your house is for real haunted. Everyone else is playing about it being haunted. This house is really haunted. Now, I say that as a joke just to kind of connect you to the idea here. Most of us, we don't know what it's like to deal with real hauntings. Actually, I had something. I'll share this. I didn't want to share it because it makes me vulnerable, but I'm going to share it anyway. When we bought our first house, the first couple days that we were there around 2 a.m., there would be a sound reverberating throughout the house. Scary. And I was trying to be like the strong man who was not scared. About the fourth or fifth day, I was scared. And I said, there is something haunting this house. We bought a house that was haunted. This noise is happening all night long. So I got so scared, I called the realtor. I said, give me the name of the person who owned this house before and where they live. Give me their phone number. I called this man at 3 in the morning. I, I did. I said, is this house haunted? I hear a noise, and it's waking me up all night. It's, listen, bro, I'm just saying I'm scared. He said, oh, man, what you're hearing is the water fill in and out, the toilets and everything. It happens every night. The thing is, it's nighttime, and although it's happening during the day, too, you don't hear it during the day, but you hear it at night. Hung up that phone, pretended to be strong. But I knew, oh, man, I couldn't handle a real haunting. I can't handle scary things. I say that to tell you most of us, we don't know what it's like to deal with real hauntings. They're not real. We don't believe in that. But although we're not talking about scary hauntings, I think that most of us have dealt with hauntings from our past. I think if we were honest here, we'd be able to say that there are some things in our past that haunt us. There are some things that we've done in our past that we're ashamed of. There's some things that we've been through in our lives that we really aren't that proud of. And if we were honest here, every once in a while in the middle of the night, they keep you awake. Every once in a while in the middle of the night, they make you doubt you. Am I over that? Am I better? Am I healed? What do I do about, has God really forgiven me? Does God really love me? Here's the big one. Am, am I really saved? I don't know if you've ever dealt with hauntings like that, but I think if we were honest, I think each and every one of us, we could say, yeah, I've been haunted by some things in my past. And if that's you, it's the perfect night to be in this scripture. Because Jacob is haunted by his past. And we find him here, and he is so haunted by his past, he's doing whatever he can to escape it. And I think that today through the scripture, God will give us some relief. He'll give us some peace about the things that we're ashamed of, the things that we don't want people to know about. And it's all found in the scripture. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 32 that Jacob is on the run. He's on the run because his brother Esau is trying to kill him. Context. 
Jacob is trying to kill him because, I mean, Esau is trying to kill Jacob because Jacob is a liar. He's a manipulator. And he's stolen the birthright and the blessing that rightfully belongs to the firstborn. And that firstborn is Esau. Jacob's a liar. He's known for it. Jacob's a thief. Jacob is a manipulator. And in chapter 32, we, we meet Jacob after he's married, after he's accumulated wealth, after he's accumulated all of these things by his own power. And the Bible tells us in chapter 32 that on his way back home, because now he is 97 years old. I know when you read this story and you read about Jacob wrestling, you think of a 25-year-old man. He is 97 years old. And he's on his way back to the promised land because he knows for God to fulfill the promise he has in me, I have to go back to the promised land. Here's the good news. He's 97 years old. It teaches us up front that it's not too late for us. That no matter where you find yourself now, it is not too late. And God is able to bless you. God is able to do something for you. God is able to use you in powerful ways to expand his kingdom. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. He's 97 and he's on his way back to the promised land. But as he goes back to the promised land, he is going to have to confront his brother Esau who is there. So chapter 32 is telling us about the situation that's happening. Esau is a strong man. The Bible teaches us that Esau is a man who hunts. He's out in the, in the, in the wilderness. He's out there roughing it. Not me. I can't do that. I don't like being outside long. I don't even want to walk to my mailbox because it's too hot. I don't want to sweat. Esau's not that guy. He wants to be outside. He wants to sleep in the shade of a tree. He loves it. He's, he's tough, not Jacob. Jacob's not tough at all. Jacob actually is the weakling of the family. And Jacob now is having to deal with the fact that he is going to have to deal with his brother who wants him dead. In chapter 32, we see that Jacob decides, the only way I can get out of this fight is if I, if I buy off my brother. If I buy off my brother... I can, I can do this. And so he's on his way to the promised land. And it tells us in 32 that as he's going to the promised land, he meets up with angels. Literally, there are angels that are guarding the line that separates the area where the promised land is. And the Bible tells us that he meets with angels and it gives him confidence. It gives him so much confidence, he names the place double camp, meaning it's not just my camp of people, God is with me, so there's two of us. He gets really emboldened by the fact that God is with him, and so the Bible tells us that he sends a generous offer to his brother to try and convince him that he should accept him back in the land and that they should squash their beef. But listen, the messengers come back. And they say, your brother is on his way with 400 men, and he's coming after you. Immediately, Jacob is afraid. Jacob is afraid because I thought I just saw angels. I thought I just saw God's presence. I thought I recognized that I am no longer alone and that God is with me. I don't just have somebody. I have the person that everyone would want on their team. He's on my team. It's God. 
And yet, even though he has this presence, he still has to deal with problems. What this early scripture teaches us is that God can both be present in your life while you have problems. It tells us that the presence of God doesn't stop the, pro- the presence of problems. And unfortunately for us, we believe that as, if God is with us, we shouldn't have to go through any struggles. But what this is teaching us is that when you have God with you, you have somebody with you in the problem, not absence of problems. It tells us that when we have problems, we don't have to be afraid that God is not with us. And I know that in your life, when you face difficult moments, you feel, God can't be with me. He can't be with me because of the problems that I'm facing, because of the struggles that I'm having. So now Jacob is really afraid. And the Bible tells us that he tries to make offers to his brother. He gives him the most generous offers that he can because he actually does not believe that the promise is going to stick because of his past. He doesn't think that God's promise will be valid in him because of who he is and who he's been. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, the enemy likes to come to me and tell me, God won't do that for you because you remember who you used to be? Do you remember that time when you were 17? God's not, God's not going to do that for you. God can't restore this. God can't fix that. Because remember what you did last week? The enemy likes to remind us of our past so that we don't have faith in the present for what God can do. And that is what is happening with Jacob, And that's where we find him here in chapter 32. It says in verse 22, now he arose that same night. Do you see that? That same night. I read that and I got, I got curious. I got curious because I remember verse 13. If we have verse 13, let's put it up. Verse 13 kind of confused me a little bit. Because as I'm looking at it, it says this. So Jacob spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had to present it to his brother Esau. So it's nighttime. He's decided, I'm going to spend the night here. Verse 13. Go to verse 21. Can I just show you this in the Bible? When the Bible repeats things, it's trying to teach you something. Verse 21. So after all that, eight verses later, so the present passed on before him while he himself, what? Spent the night in camp. Verse 22, now he arose when? That same night. You know what this sounds like to me? The man can't sleep. He is so filled with anxiety, so filled with worry, so stressed out, he can't sleep. He is wondering if by this time tomorrow I'm going to be dead by Esau's sword, so he can't sleep. Even though he knows God is with him, even though he's seen angels, even though a couple of verses earlier, he actually prayed for the first time in 21 years, he still can't sleep. I wonder what keeps you up at night. I wonder what gives you sleepless nights. That's Jacob. He's sleepless. 
Now he arose that same night and he took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children. And he crossed the ford at the Jabbok. That, that word, Jabbok, is important because it's an area of land. And that area of land is literally about two miles from the Jordan River. Why is this important? Because the Jordan River is the border to the promised land. So Jacob, where's Jacob? He's real close. Jacob has been traveling and running for over 20 years. And now he's this close to being in the promised land. Doesn't it always happen this way? Whenever you feel like you're finally making some headroom, you're finally getting to a place where you feel healthy. You're finally getting to a place where your mental state is where it needs to be, where your walk with Jesus is where it needs to be. And you feel like I'm almost where I want to be, and yet he is dealing with possibly dying. He is at the edge of the fort of Jabbok, and he sent them. I want you to see this. He took them, and he sent them across the stream. Who is he sending across the stream? His family. We, we read last week that Jacob was scheming a way to avoid being killed by his brother. And the way he was going to do it was by sending his family split in two in front. And so if, Je if Esau was going to attack him, the people in front would be attacked and he could escape. So even though he's prayed, even though he's seen God, he's seen God's presence in the earlier verses he is still going through with his plan to sacrifice his family. He has come to the very end of everything that he has. And he says, the only way this is going to work is if I try to save myself. The Bible says that he gets there, and then it says, and he sent across what? Whatever he had. He's at the very end of his ability. He's at the very end of what he can do. I wonder if you know what it feels like to be at the very end. Parents, you know what that's like. When you're tired, when you're overwhelmed, and there's still dishes to be made, kids to do homework with, dinner laundry, bills to pay. And yet right here, this is where he finds himself, where I've given everything I have. Everything I have is given. There is nothing left for him to offer. Now we see him in verse 24. Then, then Jacob was left alone. Don't get it twisted. Jacob wasn't left alone on accident. Jacob was left alone because he wanted to be isolated so that he could survive. At the very end of this thing, Jacob was still selfish. At the very end of this, Jacob was still only looking out for himself. And I don't know if we want to have, like, therapy hour here tonight, but if we're honest, we're pretty selfish. If we're honest, we're really only looking out for ourselves. Here is Jacob, and he's, he's, he's found himself alone, and I've realized that this is typically how God likes to work with his people, when we feel alone. When we're at this place of isolation, even though Jacob is doing this on purpose, he's in hiding, he's secluding himself willingly, he is willing to sacrifice his own family, he is selfish, and yet we see that God 
comes after him. This is the gospel. Jacob is at the worst place in his life, making the worst decision of his life. And the Bible says in verse 24, he was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. I want to give you a spoiler alert and I want you to understand who this person is. Go to verse 30 and we'll come back. Verse 30, so Jacob named the place Pinyao for he said, I have seen who? God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. He is wrestling with the man, but they don't know exactly how to describe who this man is because in their tradition, you can't see God face to face and live. And yet Jacob is saying at the end of this encounter, I've seen him. The, the only explanation theologians will tell you is that this is what is called a Christophany where we look into the Old Testament and we get a picture of Jesus before Jesus is here on earth. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown in the fire. The Bible tells us there was someone else in the fire and it looked like a son of the gods. That's Jesus, but before Jesus. It's called a Christophany. The Bible says, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. I told you he was 97. His thigh is dislocated. It was dislocated while he wrestled with him. I need you to understand some things in this scripture before we move on. It says that a man wrestled with him. I want you to see that God was the one initiating this fight. This is not Jacob picking a fight. This is God picking a fight. Notice God is the one who initiated it, not the other way around. I need you to know that God is willing to initiate conflict with you if it means getting your attention. I need you to know that God is willing to put you through trouble if it means that he will see a change in your life. God is willing to do that for you, even though you didn't ask for it. Jacob is not doing anything here to ask God to come in and to physically wrestle with him. But God is doing it because God wants to see Jacob changed. This is the very height of Jacob's sanctification. That's a big word that means his walk with Jesus, his development with Jesus, his development with God. It is the very height of his, in, of his walk with God. His development. Actually, most scholars will say this is almost exactly what, like what happened to Abraham at Mount Moriah when God tested him and told him to sacrifice his son. Abraham, being obedient to God, was willing to sacrifice his son. Jacob, not being obedient to God, is sacrificing his family. But he's doing it selfishly. The Bible says that God wrestled with him wrestled with him in such a way, I need you to understand, I'm not a fighter, I used to be, but not anymore, but I'm definitely not a wrestler. I remember when we were young and we would have these moments in, oh man, I'm going to tell you all, my, all of my stuff, when we would have moments where we would fight after school, they would, we would want to know, is this person a fighter or a wrestler? 
Because if this person is a wrestler, it means they're going to go for your legs. And they're going to try to get you in this chokehold. And they're going to try to be close. And we didn't want to fight a wrestler. Because none of us knew how to wrestle. The funny thing is when I look at this whole scripture, this is God. And what it tells us is that God decides to wrestle Jacob. Why is this important for you and me? I think it's important because what this is telling us is that God was willing to get really close to Jacob if it meant having an impact on him. God was willing to wrestle Jacob, and this tells us that he was wrestling Jacob until daybreak. This was a long wrestling match. It says when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, God is saying, I I am not overcoming him, so I'm going to have to end this fight early. I need you to see this. The Bible says that God then touches his socket, and then his hip dislocates. Well, wait a minute. Why is, he, why is he wrestling with him all night if all he has to do is touch his, touch his hip? Why is God wrestling with him in this way when he could have ended the fight long ago? I'll tell you why. God doesn't wrestle with Jacob to prove God's strength. God is wrestling with Jacob to reveal Jacob's weakness. He didn't want a wrestling match with Jacob. He wanted a moment of intimacy with him. He touched him and the socket dislocated. I think the author is telling us this because he wanted us to know God could have ended this fight at any moment. God could have ended this fight anytime he wanted to. But you know what that shows us? God is patient. God did not have to wrestle with him all night. So why did he do it? Because he wanted to reveal to Jacob just how much he needed God. And he was going to be willing to be patient to do it. I need you to understand the words that are in this scripture that are telling us things that are incredible. It says that God patient with him and wrestled with him and then it said he touched him he touched him you can't touch something if you don't have skin right like there's there's a thing that this is communicating to us this is telling us that this is not a dream it's not a vision it says touch God somehow put on skin so he lowered himself in this. He thought this was so important that he lowered himself to this point where he had to put on skin so that he could touch Jacob. He did this in order to relate to Jacob. He's touching him physically close, eye to eye, face to face. Why is God doing this? I'll tell you why. Because God is willing to put on skin if it means getting close to us. God is willing to lower himself to this level if it means having a personal encounter with you. That's Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus would do when he came down and was born for us. In the incarnation, he put on skin 
but this time not for one man, but for the world. This time not for Jacob, but for you and for me. And just like he touched Jacob, he's touched our lives. And he touches you and me. But this time, not to cause us pain, but to give us life. And to give us life that's abundant. The Bible says that he touched him and he put his hip out of socket because he was patient. Hey, I want to give you some good news. God's patient with you. He's patient with you. I know that you feel like maybe God is fed up with you. I know that you feel that maybe God has given up on you. But if there's anybody in the Bible that deserved consequences, it's Jacob. And this is showing us a God who is willing to be that close to you. He's willing to be that intimate with you and not cause you harm if it means that it would reveal to you how much you need him. He's patient with you and me. He's patient with us because he knows that, that we make mistakes, that we're not perfect. The Bible says that he dislocated the hip, the socket, so that Jacob's thigh was dislocated and he wrestled with him. Then he said, I love this, let me go. Let me go. God said, the dawn is breaking, verse 26, so let me go. But Jacob said, oh, I ain't letting you go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said, let me go. The dawn is breaking. Why is he saying this? Because he doesn't want Jacob to see who he is. He says, let me go. The dawn is breaking. Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Just by looking at this text, you can deduce something from this. Jacob is not fighting anymore. It's literally telling us that Jacob is holding on. How can you tell when you reached a place of brokenness? When you're not fighting anymore? When all you have left is the ability to hold on tight and hold on tight to Jesus. The Bible says, let me go for the dawn is breaking. He said, I will not let you go unless you Bless me. Jacob's saying, I have come to the very end of myself, and I cannot do this without you. I cannot face my brother. I cannot face tomorrow unless you are with me. And here's the thing that encourages me about this. Jacob was willing to hold on if it meant that he would get a blessing from God. What it teaches me is I need to learn to hold on to God even in the most difficult moments. What it teaches me is I need to stop fighting and instead start holding on to God. I need to quit fighting back and I need to just fall on and hold on to him desperately. I, what, I, what this teaches me is, is that in the moments where I feel like letting go, don't. Don't. He says, I won't let go, not unless you bless me. Wait a minute. Isn't Jacob blessed already? He's blessed. He's received Abraham's blessing. He's received the birthright. He's actually had moments where he's seen God through visions. This is the third encounter he has with God. He knows that God is with him. What is he asking for here? You, you know what it tells me? That you can be blessed and still feel like you're not? 
Did you catch that? He's blessed. He's got children. He's got money. He's got property. He's got God's blessing and the promise for tomorrow. And yet he is begging God for a blessing. There are moments in your life that I believe will in your heart, make you feel like the blessing that God has for you, the call that he has for you, the, the, the security of eternity that he's given to you through Jesus, that the things that you've done in your past will haunt you to a point where you will feel like you, you're not blessed, like God isn't good, like God can't give you what he's promised you, that God can't forgive you, that he can't do the things that he said. And some of us are begging for a blessing that's already been given. We're going through life and we're trying to get God to forgive us. And we're trying to get God to, to, to love us when he's already done that. Spoiler alert, I could tell you what I think he's asking for. I think he's asking for God to deal with Esau. Hey, I know you've blessed me, but because of what I've done, I feel like you're, you're going to reject that promise and you're going to let my brother kill me because I'm not good enough because of the things that I've done, because I'm ashamed of what's happened, because of the things that I've stolen, because of the way that I've lived my life. The promise isn't going to be valid with me because of just how bad I am. So can you just stop Esau from killing me? In the next chapter, we'll see that Esau is not on his way to kill Jacob. God has already dealt with Esau. God had already turned the heart of Esau. Esau is coming with 400 men to protect his brother. That's why he's coming. And yet Jacob thinks he's on his way. To, God's like, what you're asking me for, I already handled. The thing that you want, I already took care of. And I don't know if you've ever experienced things like that with God where you're praying and you're praying and God's like you're focusing on the wrong thing. I've already taken care of that. And here's the number one thing. Most of us, we're afraid because of the things that we do in our lives that God will not save us, cannot forgive us, does not give us eternity. And God is reminding us through this story that eternity is ours. Forgiveness is ours. Sonship inheritance it's all ours and most of us we're praying lord please bring me into your kingdom please god forgive me of my sins and, and make me your child he's like i've already taken care of that jesus died and covered you for that that's our, and so if you're here and your past is haunting you like it's haunting Jacob, where you feel so unworthy because of the things that's, that you've done or because of what's been done to you and you feel like there's no way, I give you good news. Jesus took care of that. Jesus took care of that and there is no, the Bible says, there is no wrath for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians tells us that's exactly where you are. You are in Christ Jesus. So here is Jacob and he's like, please help me with my brother. And, 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 he, and God's like, I already took care of that. That's, that's not what I'm here for. See, you want me to help you deal with your brother when you really need to deal with me. You want to fix things with your brother, but you haven't fixed things with me. I love how you want to fix things with Esau, but what about me? I'm the one blessing you. What about me? I'm the one taking care of you. You cannot walk into this promised land and receive what I have for you until your character is changed. 
Because you've been, you've been going through this life, living a specific way, living apart from me, and that's going to change because I'm blessing you now. So the Bible says that he says to him, let me go for the day is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, okay, I'll bless you, but what's your name? See, the name in these times in the Bible is so important. It's so important because these names are symbolic for who you are in your character. So, so, so Jacob, his name means manipulator, heel grabber, thief, liar. Here is Almighty God, and he's saying, okay, first tell me your name. It's interesting to me that God would do this, though. God is all-knowing. God knows his name. This is kind of strange. Are you telling me we've been wrestling and baby, you got the wrong guy? That's actually not what's happening here. God is not confused. He didn't say, oh, I thought you were someone else. No, God is saying, I, I'm willing to bless you when you become honest with me about who you are. Because up until this point, Esau is a liar, not just about things, but about himself. Esau... I'm sorry, Jacob lies about who he really is. And we've seen this before. Back in chapter 27, the Bible tells us that he went up to his father and pretended to be Esau. And his father said, who are you? And he said, I'm Esau. I'm Esau. Here's God and God is saying, okay, you might have fooled your earthly father, but you ain't fooling me. Who are, it's time to stop faking it, God is saying. Stop pretending. I know you put on Esau's clothes. I know you tried to smell like Esau. I know you tried to be like Esau because you thought that's what it would take for you to be blessed, but I don't need none of that. I just want you to finally admit who you are and quit faking it. And it's in this moment that Jacob has to realize whether or not he is going to be honest and transparent. This is, this is a moment of confession. And the Bible says that he says, without hesitation, I'm Jacob. Admitting his weakness. Admitting that he is a liar. Admitting that he is a manipulator, admitting that he is a thief. God is asking Jacob to finally be honest before he blesses him because I believe that God won't bless who you pretend to be. God won't bless you if you're putting on masks and costumes and pretending to be something you're not. God wants intimacy with us, and that comes with honesty. The Bible says, he says, I am Jacob. Essentially admitting this, this is who I am. I'm the person who's made these mistakes. I'm the person who struggles this way. I'm the person that, that has these weaknesses. I wonder if God is waiting for us to be honest about who we are before he can make us who he wants us to be. I wonder if God is waiting for us to just be honest and say, hey, look, God, I have these struggles. 
hey, look, God, I have these things that I, I have been doing my whole life. I have these things that I'm weak in. And if we would just do that, I, the Bible tells us if you confess your sins, he's faithful, the Bible says, to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Meaning confession of one sin gets you forgiveness of all sins. What if God is waiting for us just to admit it so that we can get to a place where he can finally make us who he wants us to be? He said, my name is Jacob. Verse 28, he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. That word God there is Elohim, the strong one. God says, your name is no longer going to be Jacob. You've admitted to me who you are. Here's what you need most. You don't need me to deal with Esau. You need confirmation that I don't see you the way other people see you. You need confirmation that I accept you, that I am willing to be your God. You need confirmation that I see more in you than what others see in you. You are no longer going to be called Jacob. You are now Israel. Israel means God's warrior. You are now Israel, for you have striven with God and men, and you have prevailed. He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. You think what you need is for Esau to be happy with you. No, what you need is for me to change your identity. You need for me to, to not change your situation, but give you the confidence that I have changed your identity and that you are no longer who you are. Here's the good news for you and me. The Bible says our identity has been changed. The Bible says when we believed in Jesus, the old has passed away and the new has come. The Bible tells us each and every one of us, because of Jesus, are given a new name, and that name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the gospel. This is the good news for you and me today. Then Jacob asked him. Let me get the band up here and we'll end. It says, then Jacob, verse 29, asked him and said, please tell me your name. Please tell me your name. The man said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blesses him there. Kind of a weird interaction here. Jacob says, oh man, you just changed everything about me. So I want to know who you are. He says, please tell me your name. And God says, why is it that you ask my name? And he blesses him there. It's weird, but I think there's something strategic here. I think what God is saying is really powerful and it's really simple. What God is saying here is, is not really hidden in the text, but I think it will reveal to us something very special about how God looks at you and me. It says, Please tell me your name, but he said, why is it that you ask my name, and he blesses him there. I think he's saying, Jacob, if you'll look at your name, then you'll know mine. You missed it. Jacob, if you look at your name, the one I just gave you, then you'll know mine.
I just called you Israel. God's warrior. My name is now connected to your name. And I know that you, you can't believe that that's a real thing because of your past. And I know that you can't believe that that's something that I would do for you because of your struggles and the things that you've done. But I am giving you a connection with my name. You are now Israel. Our names are connected. Do you know that we're Christians if you believe in Jesus? And just like God's name was attached to Jacob's name, Jesus' name is attached to ours. And you and me, we're no longer our own. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter what you have come here today being haunted by, God is telling us, expressing through this gospel, hey, I have changed you. You are no longer that person. Don't let those thoughts lie to you. Don't let the enemy tell you anything different. You are now something new, forgiven, cleansed, reborn, and now you share my name. You share the name of my son. This was Jesus at this point, and we share also the name of Jesus. You and I, the moment we believed in Jesus, we are now Christians. We are connected to God. No matter how much shame you feel, no matter how much doubt you wrestle with, no matter how, how much the past wants to sneak up to you, God is saying, I have given you, you, me, all of us, a new identity. A new identity. And it's, it's founded in our God. And it, it does something. I'll tell you what, it does. It changes us. If we're looking for it, it'll change us. Verse 30, so Jacob named the place Pinyao, and he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun, don't miss it, rose upon him just as he crossed over the Pinyao, and he was limping. The Bible tells us he limped for the rest of his life. If God is going to change you, sometimes it's going to hurt. He's going to put us through things if it means bringing us to a place of intimacy with him. What if the struggle that you have now is God doing that so that it would bring you to a place where you are close with him so that he could reveal more and more of who he is to you so that he could remind you of how good he is he can remind you of how loving how patient he is with us and leaves him with a limp here's what i'll say when you meet jesus it should change the way you walk when you meet jesus it should change the way you live your life every single day when you meet Jesus, it should change the way you interact with your friends. It should change the way you, you browse the internet. It should change the way you talk with people. It should change the way you deal with your family. Each and every one of us, we should be walking with a limp because we've, we've met Jesus. And I just want to encourage you today, those of you 
those of you who have spent years running, years running, wondering if God really loves you, wondering if he's really forgiven you, wondering if he's really set you up for eternity, wondering if the blessing of being forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future, is really something that you can hold on to, even though you've had these things in your past that you're ashamed of. Yes. Yes. And it's not because of anything you've done. Because of what Jesus has done. So I'm just going to ask you, are you willing to hold on? Are you willing to hold on until something changes? Are you willing to hold on even if it means that you're going to eventually have to deal with your weakness? Because that's what Jacob had to do. Hold on, even if your weaknesses get exposed. Hold on, even if it's difficult. Hold on, because something's going to change. And it's all because God is patient. It's all because he put on skin so that he could get close to you through Jesus. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, you and me, we have this beautiful opportunity to connect with him. This beautiful opportunity to be changed forever. Why don't you stand with me and I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're in this place and we're just grateful. Grateful that you chose to be intimate with us, that you chose to be close, that you chose to make yourself known to a people like us who don't deserve it. God, we thank you for Jesus and for the life change that he brings in our life. We thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us, we can receive this new name, this new life, this second chance, this third chance in our life because of Jesus. And we're thankful, Lord, that you're patient. We're thankful that you haven't given up on us and that you're patient with us today. Right where you're at, why don't you just tell them thank you. Thank you, God, for being patient with me. Thank you for, for choosing to come down like you did with Jesus so that you could be close to me. Thank you for wrestling me down when I needed to be wrestled down. Thank you for giving me a new name, changing my life, and making me new. Lord, I ask that you be with us now. For those of us who know you, that we would have this encouragement to not let our past haunt us. And for those of you who don't know you well enough, who want to know you, I pray that you would encourage them now to pursue you, to trust you, to walk with you, to not let the past stop us from following you now. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Amen. Amen.